Hello and welcome to Rike's Expat Podcast. Today is podcast number 010. And today we're going to talk about lessons that you learned later in life. Ever since I began doing video and now the podcast and also the articles there at the main website, the majority, not not overall completely, but the majority of the audience that I engage with is is retired age or over 50. There is a small minority of, of people that listen to the various materials I put out who are still in their 30s, but not very many of them. The, the vast majority are men who are looking to relocate and retire, living abroad, living out in Southeast Asia, primarily in the Philippines. And so what I wanted to talk about today is something that we can relate to as older men who have lived a couple of decades and pretty much, you know, been around the block, got a couple of years behind us in the rearview mirror there. And one thing that, that I, I think about every so often are the lessons that I learned later in life. There's that old saying, if I only knew then the things that I know now. That's that's along the lines of what, what my thoughts are today. I'll share with you a few things that personally come from my own life. And if you'd like, there in the comments, you can, at the bottom of the page, uh, share the various lessons that were particular to you, that you learned later in life. And I'm not talking about things that you already learned early in life. I'm talking about mindsets and ideas you had for the majority of your life, maybe even into your late 30s and early 40s, which you later on in life through experience and just having to deal with the consequences and results of those mindsets, finally did a 180 and realized that, well, it was the exact opposite of what you thought. The first one that, that I'll share with you has its beginning when I first turned 18. When I turned 18, I turned down a completely fully paid college career and decided instead to go into a four-year seminary uh, program there in California and lived full-time, 24-7, in a commune sort of arrangement. And as a result of it, one of the things that was impressed upon me at a very impressionable period of my life was the idea that money is bad. Money is bad. Luxury is bad. Uh, having more than you need is bad. And from a theological defense, the verse that was put out to me was, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, it is true that, and I do still believe that the love of money is the root of many sorts of evil things that people do, but it's that the the subject, if you want to just look at the grammar of it all, the subject in that sentence is the love of money, not money. So the root of all evil, when you break it down, is the love of money, not money itself. So money is just inert. Money is no different than a rock or water or fire 
it has useful purposes and it has destructive purposes. But in and of itself, it's, it's just inert. People used to use seashells as money. So really it has nothing to do with some kind of evil property that money has. The, the evil comes from people's love of money and the resultant overambition they have. They will step on people, cheat people, lie to people, even murder people in order to satisfy their love of money. However, it wasn't presented to me that way. It was presented to me that, well, blessed are the poor because they're poor, which was again a, a misapplied theological position. That verse was talking more about blessed are the poor who realize they are spiritually poor and have need of being saved. But I won't go into all that. But suffice it to say that that verse was misused to say that essentially there's something honorable about being poor. Just the fact that you're poor, somehow you're better than a rich person. And and this whole mindset, this whole lifestyle was drilled into me at an early age. And even after I left, after four years, it haunted me. And I knew that I needed to earn money to support my family. So I worked very hard and, and put in a lot of hours. I was a young man with few skills. And so I, I worked very hard and long hours to to make the money that would support my family. But over the years, as I worked and worked and worked and eventually did amass a house and then a second house, and I had about four four different properties at one point, I I had to deal with this whole issue of, of money and whether or not it was right or wrong to have more than what you need. And what I found over the years, and this is the lesson that I learned late in life, is that the exact opposite was true. It's better to have money you don't need than to need money you don't have. That's the true reality in life. It's much better to have money in the bank that just sits there and maybe collects some interest, but it's better to have it there for when you need it rather than have a mindset of, well, there's something just sort of altruistic about being poor. Now, I spoke in a couple podcasts before about being a minimalist, and I don't have any problem with both of those philosophies. I don't mind having more money than I need, but I don't buy things I don't need. I, I don't, I don't live to have a flashy car or, again, I, material things just don't really appeal to me all that much. But as far as money goes, I am thoroughly convinced, as of about probably six, seven years ago, that's how late in my life that this, this sort of epiphany came along, is that, no, money is a good thing. In fact, you're in a better position to do a lot of good with your life if you have the finances to help other people. If, if you yourself and your family are barely scraping by, and not sure how you're going to pay for groceries next week, it's really hard to help out a family member who needs a $1,000 loan because they have medical issues. You can't help that person because you're not in a position to help that person. So having more money than you need 
is a good thing. The second thing I learned later in life, it was, again, slow in coming. And as I look back on it, of course, I can say to myself, well, gee, I, I really should have figured this out quicker. But again, there were there were things about my personality that kept me from learning this until years and years of, of having to deal with the negative consequences. Now, the the lesson that I learned late in life, this other thing, has to do with dealing with toxic people. I've always been fascinated with psychology and people and why they do the things they do. I, I always, whenever I would encounter somebody that was difficult, somebody that was what I called unlovely, my, my initial response to that person, you know, for, I would say probably well late into my forties, was to try and understand them, to try and accommodate them, to try and love them, respect them, and that my belief was that my good behavior towards them would inspire them to become better people. Now, that's a very idealistic uh, approach on life, but it's how I tried to live until, again, until my late 40s. And it wasn't until I, I got into my 50s that I really had to stop and take stock of the success, or lack of it, in this approach that I've always had. And I, I looked back on the various people who had been the most abusive in my life, and I found that all of my kindness, gentleness, patience, understanding, had zero impact on them changing their behavior towards me. They still lied to me, they still took advantage of me, they still abused me, they still hated me, they still... Essentially, I was not going to reform them with my good behavior. That's just not how life works. It's not. And there are people who will hate you, be jealous of you, really because they're insecure or they have problems or, or they feel a failure in, in whatever area... And they hate the fact that you are a reminder that someone else did it. Someone else is likable. Someone else is lovable. Someone else has friends. Someone else succeeded in their financial endeavors. Whatever it is they're jealous of you for, you haven't done anything wrong. You're just living your life. And you're successful at it. And they hate you for it. So no amount of being nice to them is going to improve the situation. It's just not. And that finally clicked into me, and I, I wrote an article about eight years ago. Uh, it's at a, another website I have called lifegoeson.net. And if you do a Google search, uh, I believe the title was Dealing with, Do Dealing with Toxic People. And I'll give, you a, give it to you in a nutshell here. Essentially, when you are moving about in life, and you have a direction in your life, and you have goals and aspirations, you have a circle of friends that you only have a certain amount of time for. Because in life, you've only got so much time every day, and every week, and every month to distribute among all the things that you got on your to-do list. Whether it's spending time with friends, making money, relaxing, whatever it is you need to do in life, you've only got a finite amount of time. So when somebody comes into your life and they are toxic, they contribute nothing. 
they hate you, they abuse you, they suck up your resources, they borrow money, they never pay it back, they talk behind your back, they gossip about you, they abuse you, they whether it be verbally, physically, or otherwise, when you come across these people, you got to just chop them out of your life. That's how you that's how you deal with them. Your job is not to be their guidance counselor. Your job is not to be their psychologist. Your job is not to be their priest. Your job is not to fix them. If they cannot understand that their behavior is unwelcome and undesirable at this point in life, well, then they need to either go fix it themselves or just take their little crazy show down the street. And you need to, or this is what I came to the conclusion to, I, I can live fine without these people. In fact, my life improves without these people being a dead weight on my time and my resources and my patience. I don't owe it to anybody, not even family members. I don't owe it to anybody to put up with their nonsense. I don't need to talk to them. I don't need to have them in my home. I don't need to accept their emails. I don't need to accept their texts. I don't need to accept their phone calls. I don't need to communicate with these people at all. I owe them nothing. And so that's that's how I deal with people who are toxic that come into my circle of life. People who contribute nothing. People who are negative. And, and, and it's not always that they're necessarily attacking you. There are some people who love being a failure. They love to complain. They love to see how everything... In fact, they're most comfortable with the idea that any aspiration is going to fail. And these are the people that if you share with them, oh, I'm thinking about doing this business idea and I'm going to have this happen, that happen. These are the people that say, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, that's probably not going to work. And yeah, da, da, da. These people, really, they're not that you need everybody to be a yes man. It's great if they have actual realistic input that is going to help you overcome an obstacle. It's a different thing when somebody says, well, you know, one of the obstacles you're going to need to face is marketing. But here's how you can deal with the marketing issue. See, that that's a constructive criticism. But a person who just is a dark cloud who says, you know, it's just not going to work, and I tried that, and it didn't work for me. and You know, you don't need those kind of dead weights in your life. So the second lesson that I really learned later in life was I don't owe it to anybody to allow them to just pour toxicity into my life. I don't need these people. It's not my job to fix them. Again, if they want to be negative and hateful, if they want to hate me, well, fine. Like like my mom used to tell me when I was a kid. She goes, if certain kids don't like you, they don't like you. So what? Do what you're going to do. You don't, you don't need them for friends. I wish I would have listened when my mom told me when I was a kid. She's a very smart woman. But it did take me up until about probably 10 years ago that I finally just said, you know what, it's not my job to fix every crazy person in the planet. It's just not. If these people haven't got their act together by the time they're age 30 to be a productive, positive-minded person, I'm not going to fix them. 
I'm just not. The third thing I want to share with you, a lesson that I learned late in life, has to do with, I don't know how to quite describe it, but I know that C.S. Lewis, I read in one of his books, I believe it was Mere Christianity, he was talking about the law of undulation. Or in other words, it's been expressed in various ways that life is kind of like a tide. Sometimes things are high, sometimes things are low. Sometimes you're in the peaks and sometimes you're in the valleys. Sometimes it's feast and sometimes it's famine. And that can apply to everything. The amount of friends you have, the amount of money you're making, the job that you have, your your lifestyle. As I look back on my life, I've I've known a wide range of experiences. I've known what it is to be poor, and I've known what it is to have far more than I needed. I've been up and I've been down. Same thing with friends. I've had times where I just had more friends than I had time to even spend with. And then I've had times where it seems like I, I couldn't find a friend for a thousand miles. So I, I had to finally realize that in life, yes, life does undulate. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. In fact, going through two divorces will tell you nothing is permanent. And, and it was a hard lesson to learn because I had looked at, for instance, my uncle, who got married when he was about, I think he wasn't even 17, and he was married his entire life to the same woman, to my aunt. I mean, they were married for like 50 years. And they had a bunch of kids, and their kids all, my cousins all grew up to be good, responsible people. Uh, when he when he got married, he only moved like five houses down the block. And then after about 20 years, he moved across the street. So he only lived in three houses in his entire life. And and he was a happy man. He got to see all his kids and grandkids and even his great-grandkids play baseball. He was there for all their games. And, and, you know, he was a very happy man. But his, you know, I looked at him and I thought to myself, well, that's that's how you live life is you, you you get married and then you're just always married to that same person and and your family grows and everything's great and everything's fantastic. Well, as the years and decades went by, I realized that he was an anomaly. He was the rare fringe data. Most people don't have that experience of staying married for 50 years to the same woman and pretty much everything in your life just kind of works out with a bit of hard work. Most people have to deal with this undulation, this peaks and valleys thing. And not everybody survives the valleys. That's where the divorces happen. That's where the bankruptcies happen. That's where the loss of friends happen. Uh, loss of reputation, whatever it is, a lot of people don't survive very well through those valleys. And I remember when I was a, a new realtor, I had just gotten my license, and I was I was out looking at properties with a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Ray, who was who was mentoring me into the business, and we were talking about the various banking rules and what was required in order to get certain types of loans, and those loans stated that in order to qualify, the house had to be on a permanent foundation. And this was during the whole real estate bubble thing, and loans were pretty much being rubber stamped and passed like like crazy. It was it was really a, an insane time to get into real estate. Uh, 
And, and so he and I had this discussion about what a permanent foundation is. And what was happening is some, some banks were accepting mobile homes as being on a permanent foundation simply by the owner crawling under there and dumping a big wad of cement onto the majority of the pylons that touched it on the ground, that kept the trailer lifted off the ground. And then bingo, they were saying, well, there you go. Now that the pylons have been cemented to the ground, it's a permanent foundation. And the bank was saying, yeah, okay, good enough for us. And they'd stamp it and pass the loan on. And, of course, that all that all exploded and fell apart later. But the the conversation that my buddy and I had was about permanence. And I remember he asked me, he goes, well, really, what is permanent? He said, because even a, a standard uh, single residential home, which is built on a thick foundation of cement, he goes, really, how permanent is that home? Because in a couple of hours, you could take a big enough bulldozer through there, and you could scrape that house right off the ground. It's not as permanent as it looks. He goes, you could have a 20-story building, and you dynamite it the right way, and all you got is a bunch of debris. And then you haul that off with bulldozers and you're right back to even the foundation. You can jackhammer that. You can make that entire property, you could turn it into a park. You could have it looking like there was never a home there or never a building there. How permanent is anything? And it became more of a philosophical question rather than a real estate issue. And I've never forgotten that. And as I've, as I've lived and gone through various stages of my life, I had to accept the idea that, again, undulation happens. There's no way around it. When things are good, be thankful and enjoy that things are good. And when things are bad, just tell yourself, i got to ride it out. It's not going to stay bad forever. If I put some effort in, I can get out of this valley. But neither one. Not the good times or the hard times are permanent. Uh, there's that whole old story about the ring that says, this too shall pass. Whether it's good times or bad times, this too shall pass. And that's a lesson I had to learn because I, again, I started out in life with this, this sort of rose-colored view on life that everything was just going to work out. And, and for some people it does. I have a good buddy from high school in high school, he said, well, when I, when I get out of high school, I'm going to work for a writing company. I'm going to, he loved writing and, and he said, I'm going to write articles and I'm going to marry a good, uh, German Catholic girl and we're going to have some kids. And, and that's exactly what he did to this day. That's what he does. He goes fishing with his sons and his grandsons and, and he lives up in the mountains just like he said he would. And he's still married to the same good Catholic woman and, and everything went exactly as planned. But that's not the norm. The majority of us in life go through these undulations, these peaks and valleys. Some of it's our fault, some of it's not. Sometimes you get hit with a, a major health issue, your spouse gets cancer or whatever. Things happen, tornadoes, you know, just things happen to us as well as the things we do to our own lives. So those are three things that I just had to come to grips with that later in life I just had to reevaluate the data look back on my life and say, you know what, I always thought it was this way, but I have to face the facts that really it's this other way. 
And I think that's a good thing that we do, that we don't cling to old paradigms that don't work, that don't really prove themselves out in reality. Because then it allows us to make adjustments. It allows us to view life in a different way. So that's just something I wanted to talk about with all of you guys. Again, I know I know many of you have a lot of experience behind you, a lot of life experience. And these are lessons that we can pass on with those of us who do get married to uh, younger women. These are the life lessons that we can attempt to pass on to them, hopefully give them an edge in life. Whether they'll listen or not, who knows. But even if we don't get married, if we decide, well, hey, you know, I'd rather be single the rest of my life, at least you reevaluate how you view life and, and learn from the past and make adjustments, make corrections, and re, recalibrate your view on life. So I'm eager to hear from you guys out in the comments section. Just go to the bottom of the page, share the, the lessons that you feel that you learned later in life. So we'll see you next week and talk to you then. Bye-bye.